It, uh, it has been a hard week for us in our country, hasn't it? I think all of us have experienced a profound sadness. And we've been reminded of, of certainly how broken our country is and broken our cities are. And been reminded of how alienated we are from one another. How alienated we are from, from God. And so I want to remind us this morning of this. That God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And through Christ, to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, whether things in Fort Wayne or Louisiana or Dallas, all things. Reconcile all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And he has made you a minister of this reconciliation. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit and are called into the world to be a people of peace, a people of kindness, a people of mercy, and a people who are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope for the brokenness of our world. Uh, this morning in your, your outline, in your bulletin, we're actually only going to, to hit on the first point. Christ's work... Paul's work and our work. And we're really only going to be looking at one verse today, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we have declared today in our singing that we believe that you are Lord over all things. We've declared today that you are bringing your kingdom into our world, even when it's hard for us to see, hard for us to believe. We believe and declare today that it's true. So God, I pray that today as we, as we look at this, this one verse from Colossians 1, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see and give us hope for how we may be ministers of reconciliation in our own lives and in our own world. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what we're going to do today is, is take a look at this one verse in Colossians 1.24, and then I'm going to spend some, some time in the book of Philemon. I said when we began this series on Colossians that I believe that that really short letter to the book of Philemon is a very practical example or a, a test case of all of Paul's theology in the book of Colossians. Everything that he teaches about what the gospel is all about and about this reconciliation that God is at work bringing in our world, that that letter to Philemon and these two brothers that were at odds with one another, Philemon and Onesimus, and Paul's work in seeking to reconcile them is a practical application of the book of Colossians. Philemon lived in the city of Colossae. These two letters were probably sent to the Colossian church at the same time. 
I think that this is Paul saying, you've read my letter to the whole church. This is how you work it out in one particular way between two believers who are at odds with one another. So let's begin with looking at Colossians 1.24. The previous verses in Colossians, we've, we've seen how Paul gives us this cosmic vision of the reconciling work that God is doing in the world. That all things, the things we can see and the things that we can't see, uh, the things that are big and the things that are small, the human and the non-human parts of God creation, God's creation, he is seeking to bring all things into reconciliation to himself. And he does that through the work of Christ. And then last week we see how Paul takes this cosmic landscape, this cosmic, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What do painters draw on canvas? A canvas that he's, he's painted for us of God's saving work in the whole world. And he like narrows it down. He zooms in and he says, and you also need reconciliation. And you also have been reconciled through Christ. Your particular life, God knows. Your need to be reconciled to God is not lost in this universal vision of his saving work. God knows you. He loves you. He knows about your particular circumstances. He knows about the particular ways that you are alienated from him and need to be brought back into reconciliation with him. So we talked about that last week. So in these next few verses, beginning in verse 24, Paul talks about his own ministry. This ministry that God has given to him to proclaim this gospel to the world. Colossians 1.24 starts in this way. Paul begins speaking about his ministry, and he speaks about it in this way. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh... What is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Uh, Could somebody else stand up and read that verse to get a different voice, a different inflection? Maybe a lady, if perfect. Thank you, Katie. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am contemplating what remains in Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. Thank you. In this verse, Paul is talking about the sufferings that he has endured because of his work for the gospel. And there's two remarkable things that I want to point out in this verse that we need to hear about uh, what Paul's understanding of his work and his sufferings were about. The first is that Paul begins by saying that he rejoices in the sufferings that he has endured for the sake of the gospel. That he rejoices in the sufferings. What I want to be clear here is that Paul is not saying that he's rejoicing in the midst of the sufferings or in spite of the sufferings. Paul is saying that the suffering has come my way, and though it may be terrible and painful, I rejoice because of them. It's a little bit different, isn't it? Sometimes when we go through suffering, we think, you know, I I place my hope in Christ, and in spite of all of these things that are happening, I'm still going to rejoice. And that's hard to do, but we do our best to do it. Paul goes a step further. He says, I rejoice in them. I am glad for them because they have produced something in my life and in the life of the world that would not have been possible if it wasn't for them. I am glad for this suffering. I rejoice in them. It's a humbling perspective, isn't it? 
The reason that Paul can rejoice in his suffering is because of his clear conviction that this suffering has meaning and purpose. And so he says what the purpose of this suffering is. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is a fairly amazing thing to say. almost sounds blasphemous even to say that there's something lacking in Christ's afflictions. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said what? It is finished. So what can Paul possibly mean when he says here, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? How can Paul say this? What does he mean? I think what Paul means is this. When he says that he is filling up what, with what is lacking, he is not saying that there is something deficient in Christ's sufferings, that there was something that still needs to be done in order to bring salvation to people. What Paul means is that the sufferings of Christ have not yet taken full effect in the world. There are still places and people and relationships and neighborhoods and cities that have not yet come under the lordship of Christ. And so Paul's work is to come and to fill up what is still lacking, to declare the lordship of Jesus over every single circumstance, over every single life, and over every single city. Paul sees that it's his calling to go and to be a minister of this gospel and makes Christ's salvation known to all places where Christ's suffering is not yet known. Reconciliation is still needed. Paul sees it. There are still people who are alienated from God and alienated from one another. And Paul knows that the message of the cross is the message of reconciliation with God. And what is lacking is that there are places where this, the effects of his death have not yet taken root. And so at the end of this section, what Paul says is that as I go out into the world as a minister of the gospel, I go in the power of Christ. It is God's energy. It is God's power that works through me because all I'm doing is continuing the ministry that Christ has already started through his death. Paul's ministry is an extension of the ministry of Christ into the world. Throughout Paul's letters, we see how closely Paul identifies his life with the life of Christ. Paul's favorite phrase is, in Christ. I am in Christ, in Christus. We hear him say statements like this, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Or, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul does not believe that he is only called to imitate Christ, although certainly he would say that we are. What he is saying is that his life has been incorporated into the life of Christ. It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. Do you remember that story of Paul on the Damascus Road? He has been persecuting the church. He has killed Stephen and maybe others. He has imprisoned and persecuted the church. And Saul is on this road to Damascus, and he sees this flash of light. And he gets on his knees, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And the voice says this, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. 
I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh. He was persecuting the church. And Jesus appears to him in this light and says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Paul, you're persecuting my followers, and so you're persecuting me. We are the body of the crucified Messiah in the world. My life has become a part of the life of Christ. Christ now lives in me, and now I am a part of his body. And so when Paul says this incredibly radical thing, that in his own suffering, he will fill up in his own flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, what he's saying is that our lives, as we are the body of Christ in the world, are to make tangible for others the sacrifice of Jesus as we go into the lives of others and sacrifice ourselves and even suffer for them. Jesus Christ has risen bodily into the heavenly places, and then he filled his church with his spirit. And so Christ's physical presence in the world is us. It is you and me. It is his body, the church, filled with his spirit and sent into the world to make his love known to the world. When the letters of the New Testament talk about us as the body of Christ, this is not simply an illustration or an image to help us understand how we're to work together better. It is that, but it's more than that. It is a statement about reality. The church has been filled with the Spirit of Christ and sent into the world as his body. And as his body, we enter into the world with a willingness to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of others. Now to Philemon. Flip over in your Bibles to this short letter, if you can find it. It's probably only a page long. As I said earlier, Paul works out this theology of reconciliation in this letter to Philemon. The book of Philemon is written to a man named Philemon, a leader of the church in Colossae. And it seems that Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus, by the way, uh, that name means useful, which Paul uses that interestingly throughout this letter. Onesimus has run away, and it seems as if he has stolen something from Philemon. And Philemon went to go, I'm sorry, Onesimus went to go look for Paul. And I think he was saying, Paul knows Philemon, I've heard this message of the gospel, and maybe, maybe Paul can help me. And as Onesimus goes and he finds Paul, Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. And so then Paul writes this letter. He sends Onesimus back to Philemon and writes this letter to him. And when we read the letter of Philemon, it it feels like we're kind of entering into the movie in the middle of a scene. There's all this backstory that I've just tried to describe to you. And then we have this letter. It's like we come into the movie at the middle of it, and then we leave about ten minutes before the end. We don't know how it ends. So we get this letter. We have no idea how Philemon and Onesimus responded to this letter. But this is Paul's action in this particular circumstance, to say, Philemon and Onesimus, this is how reconciliation works with you right now. 
And I'm going to read this letter. It's 25 verses long. I'm going to read it to you. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Because of you, brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated to you from a little, for a little while was so that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention... You owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send you greetings as do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There are a few different ways in this letter that Paul enters the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus and willingly bears in his own flesh the suffering of Christ so that the two of them may be reconciled together. There are a few different ways, and I think over our time in the book of Colossians we may talk about a few of them, but today I want to talk about one of them in particular. Paul takes his identity in Christ seriously. He believes that he has been sent into the world as a 
minister of reconciliation, that in him is a tangible, physical expression of Christ's sacrifice, and that as he goes about his work, that it is Christ that is working in him. Verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul makes himself a debtor to Philemon, even though Paul was blameless. Even though Paul owed Philemon nothing, even though, in fact, Philemon owed Paul his very life, Paul makes himself a debtor to Philemon in the place of Onesimus. Does that sound familiar to you? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Paul, who knew no debt, became a debtor for Onesimus so that in Paul, Philemon and Onesimus might be reconciled together. Amen? (laughs) I think that's pretty neat. That Paul understood his identity in Christ so deeply that he acts like Christ in this situation. This is Paul very deliberately imitating Christ and living out his identity as a member of the body of Christ. Jesus' work is finished and complete, bringing those who are enemies to God and to be friends with God and to friends with one another is a work that only God can do. But what Paul understands is that Christ is in him and that he is in Christ. And that it's Christ's energy that works powerfully in him. And so Jesus' work of reconciliation continues through his ministry as he now ministers to these two brothers who are at odds with one another. Paul fills up in his own flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions by entering into this particular situation with Philemon and Onesimus, with Christ's love and with the willingness to suffer, to become a debtor for the sake of Onesimus. So what about our own work Like Paul, we are members of the body of Christ. And again, this is not simply an illustration or an image to help us understand things. The church is the physical and tangible presence of Christ in the world today. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. He is reconciled to the world to himself in Christ, but this work is not yet fully visible. It is a treasure that is hidden in the field. And by God's intention, that mystery, that treasure hidden in the field is to be revealed in the life of the church. In your life, as you enter into the relationships with other people, as you take the good news, both in your words and in your actions, into every place and in every city and into every neighborhood and into every relationship. It's our calling to be ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation so that the world will know that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. In your own life, you know that there are people and relationships and circumstances that are broken. In what way is God calling you to be a minister of reconciliation in that situation? In what ways does the lordship of Jesus Christ need to come to bear on that relationship. Christ's afflictions are still lacking in that there are 
relationships and people and places where his reconciling work has not yet taken effect. And so where is God calling you to be that minister of reconciliation? I want to finish by doing my best to speak to some of what we've seen this past week and what it means for us to be ministers of reconciliation in the particular circumstances that we're seeing. I feel this will be a feeble attempt, but I trust that the Lord will speak. How can we be ministers of reconciliation in this racially divided, ideologically divided country that we live in. First thing I want to say is this, that we should carry the truth with us that every person bears the image of God and every person has sin in them. The hero of heroes, the greatest police officer in our country, has sin in his heart. He has the potential to make a mistake. He has biases and hurts that he carries with him. And what is also true is that the hardest and most cruel criminal bears the image of God. As we enter into all of our relationships with people, we must carry these biblical truths into our conversations, remembering that every person bears the image of God and that every person has sin in them, that there's parts of every person's heart that is not yet reconciled to God. And I want to say to you that if we carry this conviction with us as the church, we will diffuse the polarization that is happening in our country. Because we want to say that one side is completely right and one side is completely wrong. That if we stand with police officers, that we are against the black community. Or if we stand with the black community, that we're somehow against police officers. Lord, we all know that that's not true. And that those are the polarizing voices that are the loudest. And I've seen this past week, I think if there's been any good that has come out of this week, I've seen the voices saying, listen, this isn't an end, uh, a zero-sum game. <laughs> there isn't a winners and losers in this. We are in this together. And if we're going to overcome these problems, we have to do it together. And those voices have become much louder this week. And I praise God for that. You know, yesterday at the... Three Rivers Festival, the two loudest cheers that I heard. The first one was at the beginning as the police marched up the street. And this city showed their support to them and for the role that they play in our community. The second loudest cheer that I heard of the day came after this group of African-American girls, 10 and under, did a cheerleading and dance routine. Gave me a lot of hope. 
I don't know that if 50 or 60 years ago that both of those two expressions of appreciation would have happened in the same place. I was grateful for that yesterday. As a church, we need to be voices that diffuse the polarization. We are ministers of reconciliation. And so we must diffuse this polarization, and we do that by remembering that every single person bears the image of God, and every single person has sin in them. The second thing that I think that we can and must do is enter into our relationships with other people by listening to them. My seminary was a very diverse seminary. There was probably about uh, 30% African-American student, 30% of the students that looked like me, and then 30% that were either Asian or Hispanic. It was a very diverse place to be. And there was a lot of conversation. One of the professors, while I was there, wrote a a, a theology um, speaking about the importance of race in the church. So there was a lot of conversation, a lot of energy about this. And as as a a young white man, I just wanted to do something. Uh, and so I asked my black friends, my black fellow students, what can I do? I, I hear you a little bit, and I want to do something to be a part of the change. And one person said something to me that made me really angry at first. He said this, just listen to our stories. Just listen to our stories. I remember her saying that to me, and I became angry because I was like, well, do you not actually think I have the ability to do anything? (laughs) Like, that was kind of what I felt. Just listen to our stories. And I did. The next two years, I intentionally listened to to their stories. I went to African-American churches, and I talked with the pastors, and I listened to their stories. And by the end of my... Last year of seminary, I still was frustrated one day. I said, I feel like this conversation is still happening, and I don't feel like I know anything what I can do. And I realized in that moment that I had changed. I saw things differently than I did two years before. And that was her point. (laughs) Listen to our stories, and you will change. And I think we so often come defensive, ready to fight, ready to win, ready to be on the side that is right, and we fail to listen to one another, and we just talk back one another. And certainly social media makes this even worse. But we enter into our circumstances with the willingness to listen. And the third thing, is to be ready to suffer. When you enter into a situation or circumstance as a minister of reconciliation, you will suffer. When I listened to their stories, and I, I'm no hero at all, I'm not saying this was a big thing, but when I listened to their stories, as helpful as they were, they also wounded me. They wounded me in some really good ways, in some ways that I needed in some ways that revealed things in me that needed to be brought into light. But sometimes their anger was expressed to me in ways that was not right and was not fair, simply because I was giving them an ear to listen. 
be ready to suffer. And friends, the more deeply and more boldly that you enter into situations where you are seeking to be a minister of reconciliation, you will suffer. But it's a suffering that we can rejoice in. Because in that suffering, there are things happening in us, things happening in that relationship, things happening in our world that wouldn't be possible if you weren't willing to suffer. So be ready to suffer and rejoice in it. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions is not that Jesus' death somehow wasn't enough to save the whole world. What is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions is there are still people that have not yet heard and do not yet know the gospel, and Christ's afflictions have not yet taken full effect in those places. And God has given you the great privilege to be a minister of that message, a minister of reconciliation. Our God in heaven, we need your help. We need your help as Broadway Christian Church to be a witness of your reconciling work in the world. Lord, I think we're doing that well in some ways, in some ways that we're not doing it well at all. And so we need your help. So we ask that your spirit would fill us and truly unify us together as your body, the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.